an exciting Sunday, right? I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about all the other stuff that's happening. The child dedication and 80 more seats. So exciting. I wish I had been the one to get to run through that wall, but <laughs> Pastor Pete wouldn't let me do it. So anyhow, uh, I'm going to start off right here with a number for you. 83%. Any idea what that stands for? 83%. That is the percentage of people who say that they initially walked into a church because someone simply invited them. 83% will say that. You know, why'd you come to church first time or whatever? Well, someone invited me. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? And pretty exciting. But the thing I wonder, I just got to wonder if they were to do a study about what happened before that invitation. What is it that took place before the invite was ever made? Because I feel certain that in 99% of those cases, now I'm pulling a Pastor Randy, I'm just making up numbers. 99% of those cases, before the invitation was ever given, I think there was at least one, if not more than one, of these conversations. Conversations. And that's why today we're going to continue in our second message in this series that we're calling, Can We Just Talk About It? And uh, Pastor Randy had me to step in this week, but he's going to be back giving us the next two messages, the last two messages in this series starting next week. But in this series, what we're doing is we're hoping to help you feel more comfortable and feel more equipped to engage in spiritual conversations with all kinds of people in our lives. You see, last week, Pastor Randy, he shared the story of a man by the name of Nicodemus. He was a religious leader in his time, in his day, during the time Jesus was on the earth. And, and he taught, helped us understand how it is that we can have a conversation, a spiritual conversation, with those people in our lives who think, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. So if you missed that last week, I highly encourage you to go on our YouTube channel and check it out. But today, we're going to look at, at the story of a woman in Scripture who isn't given a name for us. We don't know her name. Instead, it seems that she's given more of a description. We could even say a label, a label, a woman defined by what was likely her biggest failure in life. A woman who would definitely say this about herself, I'm in trouble. Boy, I am in trouble. So we're going to go to John's Gospel, chapter 8, and we're going to learn about this woman it's one that you're probably very very familiar with Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives but early the next morning he was back again at the temple a crowd soon gathered and he sat down and he taught them which is what he frequently did as he was speaking then the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees they brought a woman a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery and they put her in front of the crowd I always wonder, where was the man? Because it takes two, and where was he? And I'm, I'm thinking, he got away. He must have gotten away. And they said this to him. They said, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses, the Old Testament laws, the scriptures, says to stone her. What do you say, Jesus? So they were trying to trap him into saying something that they could then use against him. But look what Jesus does. It says, Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. Isn't that fascinating? He stoops down, he writes in the dust, and there's all kinds of, of um, guesses and, and, and theories about what Jesus was writing in the dust. You know, some say that he was writing the names 
of all those teachers of the law, the Pharisees. Some say that, that next to their names, he's writing their sins. Some would say, I have found the answer. I discovered it myself. Would you like to know? This is the answer to that question, what was he writing? We don't know. You're welcome. You're welcome. You don't have to wonder. We don't know. If the scripture doesn't tell us, again, anything is only a theory, a guess. We don't know. So let's go on. It says they kept demanding an answer. So now he stood up again and he said, all right, but let the one who's never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman now face to face. What happens? Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And then Jesus says, those words we all want to hear, neither do I. Neither do I go and sin no more. You talk about someone who is in trouble, in trouble, caught in a, an adulterous affair, dragged out in front of this mob of people with stones in their hands, her life just hanging in the balance in that moment. She was in trouble for sure. And while her trouble, it, it, it was, surrounds a very specific set of circumstances, what we're gonna do in this message is we're just going to kind of take her situation and we're going to broaden our scope and we're going to think about the many people in our lives who are in the same condition and that they are very much in trouble and desperate. People who are desperate. If you look up a definition of desperate, it, it, it reads like this. A hopeless sense that a situation is so bad as to be absolutely impossible to deal with. Can you think of anyone in your life? Anyone in your life this describes? In trouble and desperate. You know, you know, maybe like this woman, their trouble is a direct result of sinful choices, and now, man, they're just reaping the consequences, and you see it. But maybe there are others in our lives that the cause, it's not so clear, but they still got troubles. And that these troubles are causing them just to feel desperate. They've got relational troubles. They've got financial struggles. They, they've got emotional troubles, troubles of all kinds. Trouble, trouble, trouble. Trouble's been dogging me all the days of my life. Like Romans 3 says, this is a pretty good description. Ruin and misery, misery mark their ways. And the way of peace, oh, they don't know it. No peace. So again, are you thinking of someone in your life right now? Perhaps a family member, a, a work associate, a friend, a neighbor. We're talking about people with different kinds of troubles, but here's the thing that they all have in common. They want help. These are the people in our lives that are seeking help. You see, when your troubles get bad enough and your desperation gets deep enough, then you are wide open for any and all the help that you can get, right? And that's why Pastor Randy says that, that these are the people in our lives who they're easy to have a spiritual conversation with. They're already gushing their troubles and, and they're just desperate. They're looking for help. 
So it makes it really easy to step into a spiritual conversation. It's like somebody just lobbing a softball for you to knock out of the park. That's what Pastor Randy said in my office this week. And I thought, hmm, maybe for you. Maybe for you. But see, I, I thought of some reasons why it's not so easy. So would you like to hear my reasons? You know, some things that make it a little bit difficult, you know? Well, one reason is this. I think it makes it difficult because not my circus, not my monkeys. <laughs> not my circus, not my monkeys. You see, I think many of us, we struggle with this idea that we just don't want to involve ourselves in other people's troubles. I mean, we're busy, right? And we got troubles of our own. So it's just so easy to think that I don't have the time or the emotional energy from someone for someone else's problems. I just need to take care of my own monkeys in the circus of my life, right? It's just so easy to look at some people and just see them as the black hole of emotional need that'll suck the very life out of us if we let them, right? But that's not how Jesus saw people. And that's not how Jesus sees us and our troubles, thankfully, right? In Matthew's gospel, it tells us this. When Jesus was on the earth, what pity he felt for the crowds that came. Why? Because their problems were so great and they didn't know what to do or where to go for help. They were like sheep without a shepherd. No one to protect them. No one to guide them. The people around Jesus in his day, they had all kinds of troubles. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know where to go for help. And how did Jesus look upon these troubled people? With pity. Meaning he, he felt sorrow for them in the situation that they were in. He felt compassion for them, as in other translations give us. And folks, he wants us. He wants you and he wants me to see the troubled people in our lives through his eyes to see the person that's behind the troubles and to look upon them in the same way with care and with compassion look at what the apostle Paul says about um, those of us who are followers of Christ Paul says that we are Christ ambassadors God is making his appeal through us an ambassador is, is a representative of someone else or something else so God's desire is that we would have conversations with troubled, hurting people on his behalf. You see, his plan is to have a caring and a loving relationship, a, a conversation with them through us, through us. So you see, we have a choice concerning the troubled people in our lives. Are we going to just focus on the troubles and, and think, not my circus, not my monkeys? Or will we choose? Will we choose to see them and to feel about them the way Jesus does and to step into the conversation that God wants us to have so that he can make his appeal to them through us? When we see and we feel the way Jesus does, I think like Pastor Randy said, he was right. It's an easier conversation to have for sure. But, you know, before I totally agree with Pastor Randy on this one, I got another reason. I got another reason why I think these conversations can be difficult. Okay, you want to hear my other reason? Okay, here it is. It's this. Their troubles are not the real trouble. Their immediate pain 
is actually just a symptom of the real problem. You see, there's the person's troubles, and then there's the real trouble behind the trouble. You know what I'm saying? The trouble behind the trouble. I, I'm not talking Star Trek, the trouble with tribbles. I'm saying the trouble <laughs> behind the trouble. What they want is to have their immediate problem fixed. They just want their pain alleviated, but any relief that they get would just be temporary. The pain, the troubles, they're just going to keep popping up if they don't address the real problem, the bigger problem, the deeper problem. So the conversation has to go a lot deeper than what they expect, or perhaps even than what they want from us. I mean, let's consider the woman in John 8 again. Her immediate pain was this unbelievable humiliation of being caught and dragged out in front of a crowd, not to mention her impending death as this angry mob glares at her with stones in hands just ready to fire. But was that her real problem? Not exactly. You see, that was actually the consequence of her problem. Her problem wasn't just that she got caught. Her problem, her real problem, was that she had engaged in a sexual relationship that was outside of the good and healthy boundaries for sex that our good and loving creator has given us. You see, folks, as human beings, we're designed for sex in a specific way, in a covenantal relationship, meaning a promise, a covenant, this thing called marriage between a husband and a wife. Anything that is outside of that, those healthy, good boundaries for us, it's called sin. And it's called sin because it, it causes damage and it ultimately leads to destruction, both personally and socially. So committing adultery was her problem, not getting caught. And even, even with that, committing adultery was actually still just a symptom of a greater, deeper problem. Probably a problem in her marriage but then again we go deeper and it's a problem in her own soul a trouble in her own soul so let's look again at what the apostle paul said about god wanting to have conversations with people through us and we're going to add a little bit more this time we are christ's ambassadors god is making his appeal through us we speak for christ when we plead come back to god you see, no matter the trouble, whether it's a relational trouble, financial, emotional, or, or whatever else, the deeper issue, the core problem is always a spiritual one. It's always a spiritual one. And that's because every aspect of our lives emanates, emanates from our spiritual condition, from our spiritual health, from our spiritual life. We can't separate our spiritual life from the rest of our lives. Everything flows from that. In Colossians 1, the Apostle Paul explains it this way. He says, everything was created through him and for him. He holds all creation together. And in Acts, the Apostle Paul says, for in him we live and we move and we exist. In him, in him, in him. The him is Jesus, Christ our creator. We were created by him, but even more than that, we were created for him and what that's saying is that we were created for a relationship for a connection ongoing with christ our creator that's how life is meant to be lived 
Just as he holds all of creation together, he is the one who holds our lives together. You see, without him, our lives fall apart sooner or later. They may be falling apart, and we don't even know it. Every aspect of our lives is meant to be lived in union with Christ, our creator, because we are designed to live intimately connected and dependent upon him. Life just doesn't work the way it's supposed to work, the way it's meant to work any other way. Pastor Randy will always say that if you want to understand the entire Bible, then you must understand Genesis 3, the beginning of mankind, the undoing that occurred in Genesis chapter 3 between God and the first human beings is what God is now throughout the rest of his revelation in the scriptures and what God is now working to do now to change, to fix, to heal, and to restore. So what was this undoing? Trust. Trust between God and human beings. Trust between us and our creator. You see, ever since Adam and Eve came to the conclusion that they could not trust their creator because of Satan's lies and his deception, God's been on a mission now. And his mission is to win back the trust one by one of every single human born into this world. Your trust, my trust, every single human being. And his ultimate demonstration of his trustworthiness is his sacrificial death on a cross for us until a human being comes back to God is reunited with him through a decision to just trust him fully freely and forever we will surely we will surely be riddled with all kinds of troubles over and over and over again we'll just keep repeating the same troubles they'll pop up in different ways but it's the same trouble side note Side note, could the repeated trouble and pain in your life, could it actually be a symptom of your personal, deeper problem, of your spiritual condition right now as you sit here today? I mean, could it be that you need to turn back to God, to come back to Christ, your creator, to turn to him and to trust him and to restore your relationship with him? You know, you came in here into church today and you you came looking for some help with those troubles that you've got. Give me some answers, but God is saying, I'm your answer. You got a trouble behind your troubles and your answer is to come back to me. Could it be? Could it be that that describes you today? You see, the immediate pain is not the real problem. It's just a symptom of the problem And that's why I think these conversations can be difficult because people just may not want to hear about the help that they really need. But then again, on the other hand, maybe Pastor Randy is right. Maybe he is right because perhaps these conversations are easier because we know the answer to their problems, to their greatest problem, their greatest need. I don't have to be an expert on relationships and to have an answer for the relational problems. I don't have to be an expert on finances or mental or emotional issues to help people. The answer to their real problem is come back to God, to Christ your creator. Come back to the relationship that you were created for, a relationship with him that is based on love and trust. 
his unfailing and his sacrificial love for you and your trust in him. We've got the answer. We've got the solution. We've got the help. So let's talk about a few things that can help us then engage in these easy spiritual conversations, these easy ones. I think it all begins with laying the groundwork, laying the groundwork. There's some things that we need to do before, I guess I don't have that there. We got to lay the groundwork for these conversations with troubled people, and it starts here. Let's look at this again, okay? We are what? Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Christ ambassadors. We've already said that an ambassador is a representative. They're representing someone else. So you see, through us then, people are meant to see, through our conversations, they are meant to see and understand the heart of God. The heart of God. So that's why just as important as what we say is how we say it how we say it. So how do we represent Christ and express his heart in these conversations? Let's go back to our woman, John chapter 8. I mean, again, picture it. Everyone in that crowd, they were just glaring at her with despise, with disgust in their eyes. They've got their stones, and man, they're ready to hurl matter. Jesus was the only one the only one without sin and worthy to throw a stone. He said, if anybody's without sin, you can be the first. He was the only one that could have done that without sin. Yet what does he do? He turns to her with love and compassion in his eyes. And he says what? I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. And again, maybe there's somebody here today that that's just what you need to hear. You come through these doors today and you're weighed down. You're here, but you don't feel like you belong here, you deserve to be here, or if anybody knew, and he's saying to you today, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. One of the most important things people need from us is to know that we're safe people. Safe people. We're not there to condemn. We're not there to judge. We just want to help. But unfortunately, sometimes, folks, if we're not careful, we throw stones and we communicate condemnation without even realizing it. Sometimes, you see, we throw stones sometimes with our eyes, you know, the look in our eyes or the roll of our eyes. Or, or we throw stones with our body language, you know, we, we throw stones with the tone of our voice when it, when it comes across a little bit harsh or condescending. We, we throw stones with the words that we choose in our conversations. It may not at all be our intention, but it can happen if we haven't laid the groundwork. You see, as followers of Christ, we're to approach conversations the Jesus way, with his heart. So what, what would that look like? What's the groundwork we need to lay? Be kind and compassionate. Be completely, not just a little bit, completely humble and gentle. Always be prepared with, there it is again, gentleness. Must be really important, gentleness and respect. 
If we are not approaching people in conversations in a kind way, a compassionate way, humble, gentle, and respectful way, then we are not representing Christ, our creator, in his heart. We're just not. It doesn't matter what we have to say. You and I must decide in advance that we're going into these conversations with kindness and compassion. In advance, I'm going in with humility and gentleness. In advance, I'm going in with respect because if we don't decide in advance how we're going in, then there's a good chance it just won't happen. And most importantly, I think this, we got, we got to go into conversations like this. We must be full of it. We, we, just, we got to be, are you full of it? We, we need to be full of it. You see, we got to be full of it if we are going to be Christ's representatives, if he's going to make his appeal through us. And John, in his first chapter, he explains the full of it. The word, capitalized, it's referring to Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He was talking about when Jesus entered our planet, our earth. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son, Jesus, who came from the Father. But then John gives us this description of him. It says that he was full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ, our creator, described as being full of both grace and truth. And I think one of the greatest examples we have of this description of his nature and his character in action is the story of this woman. You know, it, it's never more epitomized than here. Jesus says to her, what? He says, I don't condemn you. That's grace. That's grace. She got something she didn't deserve in that moment. Forgiveness and acceptance and love. But it didn't stop there. That wasn't the end of the, the, the situation, the experience that occurred. Because what does Jesus say next? Go now and leave your life of sin. Truth. Truth. The truth she desperately needed to hear. Truth that gave her the opportunity for a whole new life. Her problem wasn't that she got caught. Her problem was her sin. She may have been free from the mob's condemnation, but what, was, but, but, but what she desperately needed was to be free from her own self condemnation her choices in her life her sin was wreaking havoc and just wrecking her life she didn't need others to throw stones because she was condemning herself and she needed to hear that truth had Jesus not said those words to her she would have gotten a little bit of temporary relief from her trouble and pain in that moment but then likely she just would have continued making choices that was destroying her life Jesus did not condemn her, nor did he condone what she was doing. Why? Because Jesus is, Jesus is full of grace and he's full of truth. Now, what about us? You know? You see, I think we have a bit of a difficult problem with the balance. I think some of us, as we sit here, we are heavy on the grace side, but we offer little to no truth to people. So we make them feel really good. And then they wind up getting a pass to just continue on in their destructive patterns. Some of us were heavy on the truth side, but we offer little to no grace. 
And we are just as ineffective, folks, because our truth bombs are these little explosions that hurt people and they scare people away. Truth bombs without grace cause people to feel judged and condemned and more importantly, without hope. What's the point? I got no hope. I'm done. I'm condemned. So it's the balance of grace and truth that is incredibly beautiful. And, it, and that's what has the ability and the potential to change people's hearts and lives. You know, in the very beginning of this church, FCF, over, over 30 years ago, Pastor Randy wrote a description of the kind of church we wanted to be. And, and he wrote about these different approaches. And one was our truth oriented approach and I have this saved in really old files he hasn't even looked at it for a long time but I got such joy out of looking back at it because it's it's who we still are today but this is what he wrote over 30 years ago he says we believe the truth of God's word is so attractive and it is so beneficial that when accurately presented in an environment and style that properly characterizes the heart of God it has the power to bring deep, authentic, lasting life change. Therefore, we are ever seeking to communicate, God, to communicate God's truth patiently and consistently with a respect for people's varying levels of spirituality. 30 years ago, and it's still who, who, who we are today. Yeah. We are a church endeavoring to speak the truth in love. And as followers of Christ, we must seek to do the same in our conversations with troubled people because it's in speaking the truth in love that a person has the potential to experience authentic and lasting freedom from those troubles that just plague them over and over and over when they don't deal with the real trouble behind their troubles. And that's why it is absolutely imperative that we always, always, as Christ followers, in every conversation, we speak the truth in love. So how do we do that? Conversations can look all kinds of ways, right? But I wanted to try to give you something that might be a helpful framework, maybe like an organizational tool for you uh, in spiritual conversations that, that may come your way or that you engage in and enter into with the troubled people in your life. So I hope this is helpful. We'll see. I don't know. But uh, I came up with this little uh, framework. Me, you, me, Jesus, you. And see, to help you remember, you can be like me, you, me, you, but we, we slide Jesus in there. So me, you, me, Jesus, you. Okay, again, it's just kind of meant to be a framework to work with. So me, it starts here. Conversation, I care. You see, a conversation needs to start with me communicating that I really do care about you and your troubles. It's the simple old adage, people don't care what you know until they know that you care, right? We all know this. If I'm going to share some truth in this conversation about their greater need and their deeper need, then they must first know that I really do care genuinely, authentically. I care about you. I care about what you're going through. And once we've laid that foundation and the conversation started there, then we can go to you that says, I know you're in trouble. You're in trouble, but your trouble is really just a symptom of a greater need you have. And we get, begin to open their eyes 
to spiritual things then. Without minimizing the desperation that they're feeling about their troubles, we encourage them to start looking at the deeper problem in their soul, to consider that, that, that what they need isn't just a relational fix or a financial fix or an emotional fix, but a spiritual remedy and healing in their soul. So can we talk about the hole in your soul that only Christ, only Christ can fill, only Christ can heal? And then this is what gives it credibility. I've been in trouble too. I gotta share my story now. I've been in trouble too. I know what you're going through. I've been in desperate need of help. I came to the place where, man, I need someone to come to my rescue. I need rescued, and someone did. Jesus rescued me. Jesus rescued me. You see, I, I learned the truth, and in your own words, but I learned the truth that I was made by Christ. He's my creator, and I was made for this relationship with him. I was far away from him, running away from God, doing life my own way, thought I knew best until I realized, no, my only hope was Jesus. And so I made this decision to turn back to him and to trust him and to follow him. I can trust the one who gave me life, created me, and gave up his life for me on a cross. Surely he is trustworthy. Now, it's not that I don't have any more troubles. Don't get me wrong. I've got plenty of troubles now too. But now I have a whole new way of dealing with the troubles that come my way. I turn to my rescuer. I trust him and now I follow his ways daily on an ongoing basis. It wasn't a one and done. It's, it's ongoing because I know that he loves me and he wants only what is best for me. I trust him. That's how I live my life now. So you, do you want to be rescued? Do you want to be rescued? Do you want to be set free? Do you want the help that you really need? Because Jesus wants to rescue you too. Spiritual conversations with the troubled people in our lives. Maybe this can help just as a framework, I hope, in some way for some conversations. But you know, when we think about these conversations, some of these conversations, man, whatever ones we have as we leave here from this point on, some of them are gonna be awesome. You know, we're going to have these awesome conversations where people are going to engage with us and, and we can tell they're listening and they're receiving the truth that we have to share and, and their lives are going to be forever changed and we'll get to be a part of that. And then other conversations that we're going to have, it's going to fall on deaf ears and we're going to see it throughout the whole conversation. The truth we share will just be ignored It'll be rejected. And we might even be criticized and labeled as judgmental because we shared the truth in love. You're just being judgmental. You're judging me. When you think about that, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if somehow we could know which ones would go well and which ones were pointless? You know, and then that way we could just avoid wasting our time and our energy on those troubled people that don't want the help that we have to offer. You know, the help they really need, they don't want it, so we don't have to waste our time or our energy, right? Wouldn't that be great? No. That would not be great. That would not be great. I mean, one reason, one way to look at it is because every conversation is training us. You know, even when people don't receive what we have to offer, it's good practice for us, right? It's just practice, training. 
We learn from every conversation we have, and it builds our spiritual muscles and our confidence for the next one. But I think there's an even more important reason. Look at Paul's words here. To the Corinthian believers, again, he says, I planted the seeds in your hearts, and Apollos, he watered it. But it was God who made it grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. And both, both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers. You see, even when a conversation doesn't go the way that we had hoped, but by our measure, it was unsuccessful. It is never, ever a waste of our time and our energy. Why? Because we are God's workers. We are planting and watering seeds for him. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. Every time we have a spiritual conversation where we share his truth and love, no matter what the outcome is, he says, we're going to be rewarded. We're going to be rewarded. You know why? Because it matters. It may not matter to the person we're having the conversation, but it matters to Jesus. He's watching, he's listening, and he cares, and it matters to him. So for every conversation that we will allow Christ to use us and make his appeal through us, he's going to reward us. And I think for all of those, all of those of us who love Jesus, the greatest reward will be to hear those words from the lover of our souls, Christ our creator. Well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You were faithful with all these conversations. Well done, my good and faithful ambassador. I hope that's the heart's desire of every person here today. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege, what an honor it is that you would have us speak to others on your behalf. It's, it's just an utterly amazing thing. So, Father, help us, I pray. Help us to have these conversations. Help us to have the courage. Help us to have the heart, everything that we need to enter in and engage with people, the people that you want to meet. Uh, the people who you are longing to come back to you, those in our lives and the ones that we can make a difference. So Father, no matter the outcome, whatever we may expect, help us just to step into these, to engage and to share your heart and your truth in love. In Jesus' name, amen.